Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. I'm chatting with Mr. Ian Burns. How are you, Ian? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show this morning. This is the second time you and I have chatted. If you haven't had a chance to listen to, um, Ian and I had a chat on They Just Get It back probably, I don't know, early days in COVID, just talking about his career and journey. And personally, I really enjoyed the conversation and wanted to have you on to talk about fintech. So before we get into that, uh, you're the chief executive officer at Alberta Central. For anyone who's not familiar, maybe a little buzz, a little, little blurb, what's Alberta Central all about? Well, thanks. So Alberta Central is the central bank uh, and trade association for Alberta's credit unions. So um, I like to give this example. It's almost like a, it's a mini central bank. So you think of what the, the Bank of Canada's job is, keeping liquidity in the marketplace. Uh, we do that specifically for Alberta credit unions. So we, we manage uh, some credit union assets uh, in order to uh, have a pool uh, that if we saw bumps in the night in the financial system with credit unions in Alberta, we would be able to act on their behalf. Uh, we are owned by the credit unions, so they are um, our owners and also our customers. And we provide a variety of services, from everything from uh, government relations to core treasury uh, services. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a neat organization uh, based here in Calgary that not many people know about. I, I was going to say, unless you have a reason to interact with you guys, it's probably sits behind. It sits behind the unlike the central bank, which gets you gets a lot more media than probably you guys get. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Um, yeah, for sure. How long? How long is how long is uh, the credit? How long has Alberta Central been uh, been in existence? Just to give a little context. Well, we're we're north of fifty years old, uh, and uh, we've been we've been around a, in a long time in Alberta, supporting Alberta's credit unions, uh, and uh, we've just uh, we're very active uh, through our credit unions uh, with Albertans. If you look at the system entirely, six hundred and twenty thousand uh, members. If you think of the total population of Alberta, that's a pretty sizable number. More than one in every seven Albertans has got an account with a credit union. There's sixteen different credit unions in the province today, and some of them are pretty small and. Some of them are quite large, and we mm-hmm. service all of them, and their 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 needs really vary based on the size of the organization. So, as an organization is there to support and keep them informed and provide them everything, all the tools they need to operate and provide the most value to their customers. I'm assuming the conversation around technology and the the buzz term, which we're going to define a little bit for the audience, fintech, is a big agenda item on your your annual strategic objectives. Mm-hmm. It is for sure. So our, our job is really to meet the needs of credit unions. So to meet them where they're at, but also to help them uh, with supporting technologies for where they need to go. Uh, and we own different uh, different companies with other credit union entities across across Canada that, uh, that we use to help support credit unions in this space. But really, it's just helping Alberta credit unions uh, um, define their their own path for their members and giving them all the the tools they need to be successful and and ultimately able to to transact uh, uh, through through the Bank of Canada and through Payments Canada through the the payments uh, windows that we hold on their behalf. So a question for you. Technology's always been an underpinning in your industry. It's always been a backbone to making transactions, whether it's local or, or global. But when you hear this term fintech, which I don't know the history of the term in terms of its its timeline or how long it's been around, is there a difference to think about the technology that the banking system and, and the financial system has always used versus what we now are starting to call fintech? Like how would you define or kind of what's a little bit of the evolution of all of a sudden this new, this new, this new catchy buzz phrase that's floating around named called fintech? Well, it, it's interesting. So you think of, of technology companies, and then you, you you think fintech. So fintech, really uh, financial uh, technology, uh, and and it is it is a 
a new form of business that is is looking to uh, interact in the financial service space and ultimately adjust transform the the way that consumers interact around financial services so think of it as as sometimes add-ons think of it as in in some cases it is uh um, complementary services in some cases it's absolutely competing services to uh to legacy financial institutions so when you think of I've heard this in other industries and I've talked, you know, I've talked to oil and gas about in the resource sector about this, where sometimes you've got a, a technology driven company who says, Hey, I see an opportunity in the banking sector versus you have a banking, a, a, a company that's grown up or that is in the banking and financial sector that says, Hey, I want to use technology differently. Is this more looking at companies from the outside coming in with technology? Like they've got a tool belt full of different tech and we'll get into some of maybe what those are in a minute, but are they coming in going, Hey, this is an industry that's ripe for disruption, which then causes some of those legacy companies to go, Hey, wow. Okay. We either need to like, we need to respond to this. Is that, is that a way to separate it as like those two camps coming in from the outside to disrupt versus, you're already in it and you're looking at ways to do things differently. I think that's a good way to look at it, Tyler. So it's a bit of a push-pull. So if you think of legacy technology within financial services, uh, financial services companies, credit unions have always been leaders in technology. Uh, you, know, you go back to uh, electronic transactions, bank machines, uh, the different ways that we have we've transacted uh, over time, the, the debit network that's created under the Interact banner that all financial institutions um, use for for debit transactions in Canada and to connect internationally. Um, it it is it is both. So if you think uh, of financial institutions, they're operating with their legacy technology. And if you think of fintechs, think of it as something like computer programs and technology that's used to support banking and financial services. So potential add-ons, potential uh, uh, ways of creating points of differentiation or bringing different products to market. So if you think of um, well, we're in Alberta, so let's think about pipelines. If you've got a main pipeline, which is the banking system, it's everything that needs to plug into that. So how do you plug in a new piece of technology so that a consumer can interact and also ultimately uh, get information and move money uh, within within the banking system? And how? What are the what are the hundreds or thousands of different ways that that can occur? Um, there's a report that Deloitte put out in 2018 that talks about the different functionalities that uh, that can exist in a digital experience. And at that time, and it's probably increased exponentially, they counted 820 different functionalities that could exist around the digital experience for what could be conceived in, in financial services at that time. And I think it's just growing. And if we were to do that again today, especially given some of the learnings in the pandemic, I, I think that would increase quite a bit since then. That's interesting. I think I stumbled. I was doing a little bit of research before we got on the show, and I think I came across that Deloitte paper actually and kind of skimmed through it. Uh, is there, again, I'm oversimplifying, but there's is there a belief or is there a view from the outside that, you know, the big five banks in Canada that's old, it's antiquated, like there hasn't been a lot of, of, of like you said, technology has always been a part, but I think, are, is the banking industry getting a bad rap for not being innovative? And does that conflict with the realities of keeping us safe as, as consumers? And I don't. I always want to recognize that there is a balance there because it is a heavily regulated industry for a reason. I, you know, I feel safe with being a Canadian banking client, but does that in turn create a sense that maybe they're not as quick to change or evolve things, or they haven't had to up to recently? So I think I just threw three questions into one sentence right there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I can remember one of them. Yeah, sorry. But, uh, like I just no, no, I, no, I started it's, talking. They started. On- uh, <laughs> no, it's it's all good. You can redirect me if my answer doesn't get us there. But it it you know if 
if we think of the of the, the banks having the vast majority of uh, of the clients or customers that that exist in the banking business, so much bigger than the credit unions, as an example. Uh, you know, the big five banks have got the vast majority. Over eighty percent of, of Canadians are are doing are doing some form of business with them. So you know, you could call that a, um, a large concentration. You could call it you know a virtual monopoly. So if you're a company, you may have interest in protecting your existing market share. So there's there's no there's no question I think about that as a concept, but if you're also in the in this space you've got to worry about security you've got to worry about privacy you've got to worry about fraud you've got to worry about um all this know your customer legislation uh, around fintrack that that has to occur in in order to keep uh, keep canadians safe and the banks uh, and credit unions you know within the financial services sector we're leaders in that space so it is it is that balance that has to has to be created uh, as things start moving faster, as we start moving money faster, if the ways that you can connect to your different financial service providers evolve through open banking, then that's all that all needs to be taken into account. So we do have to be very careful as we move down this road that we don't put we don't put Canadians at risk. Which I which as a Canadian who 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 has is a customer of the big banks. I pre- I appreciate that, and I think it's easy to overlook. It's easy to not take all things into consideration when we get excited about technology. So now, if we think about the fintech side and it's happening, and the world is being disrupted by technology, how challenging is it for some of those organizations to come in from the outside with this, you know, technology that's going to somehow evolve and create a better customer experience, reduce friction, increase speed, all the things that you mentioned, all the things that we've grown accustomed to on so many places that we interact. How challenging is it for them to now dovetail into an industry that is as regulated? You know, is this more of a partnership, or I feel like some of those initiatives could get stopped in their tracks when kind of reality showed up. I think you're right, Tyler. I think it's important for fintechs that are coming in and looking to do business in the financial services sector. They've got to find the right partner to come in. So there are significant barriers to entry for all the reasons I just mentioned and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the priorities of the financial institution, whether it's a credit union or a bank. What, what is your goal and then how does that fintech potentially fit in and, and how are you synthesizing all the fintechs that are coming to your door and, and making sure you're finding the right partnerships? And in some cases, the banks are acquiring uh, fintech companies, absolutely. Uh, and the banks are investing heavily through some some of their entities as well uh, in this space. And you know, Interact's a, a good example of that. And uh, looking at, at at things like protecting customers through digital ID. And if you think of the way you use a password today, so you've got you, know, you put in a username and password to log in to just about anything. Well, that that is going to change, I think, very quickly. That's not going to be sufficient as we move forward to create the level of security we need to transact the the the, the numeric values that we're considering as we look at payments modernization uh, globally, but specifically within Canada over the next few years. So I think you touched on it a little bit. So this is a combination of intrapreneurship, which is a word I'm hearing much more floating around lately as as the pace of change and the need to evolve grows. I'm hearing acquisition. I'm hearing partnerships. Is the are both are both parties open to those partnerships? Like are the fintech companies coming in with the like, hey, we know a better way. We don't want to deal with you, you know, the incumbents. Or is there? Do you see? And this is again personal point of view. Are you seeing an openness for those kind of partnerships? Because to me, to listen to you talk, those are essential for this. This it'll go faster if we partner. <laughs> I think they need partnerships with financial institutions. So on the fintech side, I think there is some need to do that. 
I mean, there are, there are always going to be attempts to, to bypass that and to, to try to find a, a way around the financial uh, mm-hmm. system or institutions and to try to move money more quickly. But ultimately, there's going to need, in my view, to be connections uh, back into the core financial service. So the partnership is key. Now, there's a few elements here. There are lots of fintechs that if you're a bank, you, you might think, and in some cases, you'd be right that the fintech wants to eat your lunch. That they want to take over the banking system and literally put the banks and the credit unions out of business. Um, so there's that piece. So you've got to find the right partners and you've got to find that symbiotic relationship where you win together and you're able to evolve together and learn together and enhance your technology and your member experience together. And that's difficult just based on the size of the marketplace, the number of new entrants that are there and competing priorities. So interesting. When you... We're talking about Canada right now. Obviously, you've got your eyes on the on globally. Is there other what what other parts of the world? Like, is this something that's evolved faster in Europe, in Asia? Is there other parts of the world where this is like? Where's Canada? I guess in the ranking of how uh, how are we adopting this? <laughs> where, so, where would we? Where, where, where I'm, put, I'm putting you on the spot there. Where, what grade would you give us on this? Oh, <laughs> uh, grade. So I wouldn't give us a great a great grade. I, you know, I'd probably give okay. us a passing grade based on where the globe is at. For things like payments modernization and the starting of adoption of technology, but we are we are we are in a low passing grade. We're, we'd be north of fifty percent, but probably you know a C or a C minus, and and we're okay. being um, we're being outpaced by Asia. We're being outpaced by Europe, and there's just a lot of innovation that's happening in those places that isn't happening here. And there's there's reasons for that. Some of it's the regulatory framework. Some of it is um, a bit more slowness to adopt uh, to new new payments um, uh, technologies and and uh, international um, uh, regulations like ISO twenty o twenty two compliance where other other countries are there and we're working towards that right now and uh, so that that's really that's in some ways impeding our ability to to participate in this you know we you talked in your last question about about technology and whether you know banks and credit unions are leaders in technology but we are in some cases but we're also we're also behind so if you think of the payment system within our country today and how we physically move money between banks that was created before the internet so if you think of how you know how banks would settle money and how we would move checks around that legacy infrastructure is is old and it does need to be modernized. And, you know, we're in the process of, of doing that now with all the considerations that we talked about around privacy and security and, and, and advancing that technology. But, but there is some of that archaic piece where we haven't moved as quickly. And some of it is the concentration of so many Canadians, Canadians using so few financial institutions. Oh, interesting. Okay. And Canada has a bit of a unique formula because of that model, because we kind of have our big five banks and that's where we're kind of, the bulk of them, assuming the population would fit into one of those five. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it was that, would that be core banking services? Like that CBS, like kind of, I was just, again, acronyms and reading through is like, you know, thinking about things they said were designed like in the fifties, sixties, like that era of technology that allowed us to do things that were a big leap forward at that point, but it kind of stuck there a little bit is the way I've been reading it through. Mm-hmm. That's my view is if, and just in, in working and speaking with the banks, and I think there's the credit unions have a difference here. We were all using this legacy technology, but the banks in many cases have built stacks upon stacks upon stacks on this leg- legacy technology, uh, as opposed to rebuilding the whole thing because it wasn't necessary based on some of the market conditions we just discussed. So in the credit union system, we had uh, less invested specifically in, in some of those items. So we don't have these massive you know, assets that we would have to depreciate or have write downs on our books if we were looking to change technology. So it may give us, I think it will give us the opportunity to more, be more nimble 
uh, in this space. And, you know, and the other the other key difference I think between the cooperative financial movement and the banks, and even if we look at all these changes with fintechs and how money will move and what transactions look like, my belief is that banks will create these connections in a way that maximizes their profit. And for credit unions, our goal is to create these connections in ways that maximize our member experience. So we're not looking to, you know, force transactions through a way that will make us the most money necessarily. It's just a different methodology, which I think is going to uh, have a, a, a pretty profound impact as we move forward. It's interesting. I like what you said there. And that was a good, that was an excellent plug for the um, credit unions, by the way. And that was well executed. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what, you, what the statement you made was a more, um, it was, that was more customer centric in the sense that understanding what the, what is going to actually truly benefit the customer versus just the myth of, well, customer service will give you an ability to transact <coughs> versus customer centricity. You're actually empathetic to what the customer is going through from the perspective of their money. And that's, a, that's there. You get two different outcomes in terms of the services that get provided. So playing on that a little bit, you know, thinking about the economic transformation that we're going through in Canada, Western Canada, globally, but obviously this show very much focuses on Calgary and some of the challenges. How's the world going to get better, do you think, for customers and for businesses as this evolution of fintech and, you know, faster and easier, and we've used some of those words, but how is this going to affect business, uh, in your opinion, like in the next fast forward, the next 12 to, you know, one to five years, let alone the next six months? So if we think one to five, and, and I'll focus for a couple minutes here just on the payments modernization piece. So this is the evolution of the key payments technologies that all financial institutions are in the middle of right now. This is going to this going to ultimately help businesses. So if you think of all the work that you do in a small to medium or even large business today around you know creating an invoice and paying for that invoice and, and how that money moves around, through payments modernization, we're going to be able to attach all that information to the transaction. So if you think of the way that an e-transfer transaction works today, if you know I want to send you five hundred dollars, well maybe five dollars, I'm not that generous, but you uh, just kidding. What's the what's the value exchange here? I didn't think it was just a free gift, Ian. I'm going I'm to do something for this five hundred dollars. Right. <laughs> Anyways, that's another. We could literally attach information to that invoice. So you know the invoice number, what that product is for, all of that information that doesn't exist today that requires this whole back office capability for right. for primarily for um, cons- uh, for businesses in order to accommodate that. So so that goes away. Um, and then on the personal side, if you think of transactions increasing, so right now you can do an e-transfer for you know, uh, $3,000 and it goes through pretty quickly. And as Interact moves towards Interact Instant over the next year or so, and then ultimately, I believe that will evolve into the new Payments Canada modernization through the real-time rail. That number will increase to 10,000 probably, and then a much larger number in Europe, as an example, you can do the equivalent of something like an e-transfer for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you think of practical applications of that, one of my favorite is in the real estate space. So when do you go to the bank and move a whole bunch of money? If you're buying or selling a house, you've yep. got to go put a deposit of 10000 or 20000 or whatever. You can't do those things and get that, that money uh, in a certified form or real dollars moved in today's financial system in an easy way. It's incredibly, it's, 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 and it's so cumbersome. You, you almost can't believe how frustrating it is the moment you have to do that. You're like, this, why is this? It, it feels excessively difficult. <laughs> it does. So if you think of the ability for those funds to transfer instantly, for them to be verified, those types of transactions should be able to be completed by consumers. And you just think of that as one example. Uh, it, should, it should make life a whole lot easier. So if you That's also think, most yep. Canadians don't use one financial institution. 
So you've got things through multiple places. You may have your mortgage in a different place in your savings account. You may have GICs. You've got an investment planner. So if you think of open banking in that concept, it is the ability, if we can satisfy all of these other concerns, for you as a consumer to look at all that information, likely through one platform. So it could pull data and information out of core banking systems for whoever you use in a secured way and give you on your phone or on your mobile device instant access to where everything's at. It could also deliver you specific offers based on the information that, uh, that you're prepared to share and really create a customized financial service experience. And you're immediately breaking down barriers for me to then be more aware of my money. And like you said, you get things disconnected. And over the years, you get a mortgage over here and you have some investments over here. And, and you know, in, in my mind, I should be able to see that on all one screen. And because as a consumer, that would make the most sense to me. It's just simply not how it, uh, you know, and what, what will that, what's the outcome then if once that happens, how much more? And I know some people have challenges with their money and don't necessarily understand it. The more you can see a complete picture, the less abstract I would think or hope that would be for them as, as an individual. So my hope for, for the consumer and for credit union members is really increased financial literacy. So if you think of where you're at and not knowing where you're at or what you've spent on your credit card and what your net position is at any time, if that is always there, there's the hope that there's an education element which is involved in that. That's a really key thing for, for Alberta credit unions and I think credit unions in general is making sure that we understand financial literacy and that we help our, our members uh, become um, good, good financial earners. We're all about their financial fitness and, and wanting to ensure that they, they, they're creating a, a secure financial future. So hopefully this will help with that as well. And it should also mm -hmm. create more competition should create more competition because, uh, you know, somebody's offering a lower rate, it's going to be a lot easier to access that rate and potentially say yes to whatever that financial service product is. So financial institutions are going to need to create a different form of, of stickiness in order, in order for us to, through our member experiences, to, to make Canadians, Albertans want to do business with us. Versus the race to the bottom, there's always somebody that'll charge you one point less or give you one point more, and that becomes very transactional and, and ultimately doesn't really benefit anybody in the long run. <laughs> That's right. You can always find a better rate. There'll always be somebody who pays more or less than you in just about anything you do. So, what, so why are you doing? Why are you doing business with a specific group? So, we're going to need to do a much better job of answering that question and creating that that experience and that differentiation and, and making Albertans want to come come do business with us, all of us. It's, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I think it was called Sixteen Minutes, and they just kind of what's new in tech? Why should why should why should we care? Why does it matter? And they kind of they talked about the concept of where AI and machine learning was going in the financial sector. More around this concept of it's it's not enough to tell somebody you spent X here and you spent Y over there because if you don't understand how to manage your money, that's not necessarily going to help you. But this concept of self driving money, where there's a degree of the system now telling you, hey, based on this, here's how you could actually optimize and actually getting a different interaction with your money to help. Help with that financial literacy versus you give me a bunch of information. If I don't know how to process it, it's just a bunch of I spent this or I didn't or I, I spent more than I earned, but I don't know why. The, the self-driving money thing, I'd never heard that term before. I thought it was I thought it was very interesting in relation to where AI and machine learning can go for the consumer in relationship to their money. So you think growth opportunities, most financial institutions would agree, and, and I would be in this camp that the, the evolution of fintechs and the evolution of open banking will actually create more opportunity. And one of the ways I like to look at that is the money that sits on the sidelines that is not in the financial system because mm -hmm. it is in the equivalent of under your pillow or under your mattress. 
under your mattress and, money. And you know, it's it, it's not, but it's sitting in an account and it's not utilized. So the ability to to look at it and to see it and potentially put that money to work for you, and by extension, putting those dollars in an institution who can use that money to work for the rest of the economy. The hope is that there's some economic benefit here, and and the statistics would say there is. Uh, some of the numbers you hear about the amount of money that's sitting on the sidelines waiting for the whatever to happen is a significant like it's a trillion dollar it's a trillion dollar number it's 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 staggering until you like what you said like that money isn't benefiting anybody it's in a sometimes quote unquote high interest savings account which is a funny term to use these days uh, but you know that money sitting on the sideline not creating economic activity not allowing to be lent out or moved through the system that people can benefit and create kind of opportunities that's an interesting when you think about technology helping people to bring that money off the sidelines in a way that they understand it and also still feel secure for them. Because mm-hmm. that, that mattress money is kind of rainy day money. I'm playing it safe by keeping it there, but I'm actually limiting my opportunities significantly. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's, that's certainly the belief. So, so when you look at this, there's more competition, there's more change, the consumer should win, but financial institutions and fintechs can win as well. Because this is just changing the way that we do business. It's changing the speed, it's changing the experience. And there should be an opportunity for us to just do a much better job with with our economy. And we sure need that right now. Yes, we do. And I, I, a lot of times, you know, people have a dysfunctional relationship with money. If that can shift as at a really individual personal level, it would be exponential to change that that would create kind of as a, as a society, going to go all the way down to the one right up to the many. Uh, I got to ask a question because I'm curious, but I've had a couple guests on where does Bitcoin play into all this? And I'm just randomly coming out of left field with a Bitcoin question, but I've had a couple guys on and the people that believe in Bitcoin really believe in Bitcoin. And then there's everyone else who doesn't know or doesn't know or doesn't even think about it. As someone in banking, what's your, what are your thoughts on that whole concept, the whole crypto world? I think cryptocurrencies will play, will play a role in our financial system as we move forward. What I, what I can tell you is, is how large a role that they'll play and, and how, how that will grow and how potentially some of these cryptocurrencies will become de-risked and potentially more mainstream. In many cases, still in its infancy, we're starting to see increased transactions through a variety of different schemes. But it's, it's I think, too early to tell what the adoption rate will ultimately be. But it does have the, it does have the ability to potentially um, have a major change in the marketplace. Uh, and all the things that we're, we're looking at as far as the, the regulations and how money moves. But it ultimately has to come from somewhere. So it has to come from the financial system uh, into these cryptocurrencies. And at some point, right now at least, it needs to come out because of your you know, impeded ability to transact in some of these, in some of these mm-hmm. currencies. So there, there still has to be that connection point. So you know, the, sh- the short answer is I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I think yep. cryptocurrencies are here to stay. But uh, I, I really don't have good visibility on, on what I think that will do to our marketplace in the next one, three or five years. It could be a lot or it really could be a little. It's one of those things right. that we'll have to look in the rearview mirror in my view to figure out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. The crystal ball is only so is, is usually cloudy at the, at the best of times. But if you think about some of the reasons for buying crypto and not get into a huge conversation around that, but then if you've been, as the banking sector evolves to change some of how they do business, it might take some of the allure away from maybe what the original problem crypto was trying, quote unquote problem it was, it was designed to solve or to rally against, I guess, as the financial system evolves and becomes more customer centric and removes some barriers. That's certainly the belief. So the speed that the change versus the ability for for something like cryptocurrency to grow, I think, will be the determining factor, and uh, and we'll have to see how we do. But I think there is there is pressure within the financial system in Canada for for financial institutions to do a much better job for our members and our customers more quickly. 
And mm-hmm. I, I, I hear and I see the call to action and, and I, you know, we're taking it very seriously and you know, we're certainly evolving our thinking and we're evolving our technology. There's also this element of insourcing versus outsourcing that I wanted to bring up. One of the things we've been doing in the credit union system, at least regionally, and we've been partnering with other, other provinces in Alberta as it relates to payments, is taking a good look at these core legacy technologies and making a decision on whether or not we want to own them. And can we keep these things up? And is that the right thing to do economically? Okay. And can we continue to compete? And we've made a, a decision to to not do that, to to looking outsourcing some of our major payments technologies. And we've chosen IBM as, as a vendor in that space to to help us through this payments modernization journey mm-hmm. instead of trying to you know, hire hundreds or thousands of programmers and to recreate these things on our own, which in many cases is what the banks are doing today. So we're looking for, yeah, different forms of partnership. Well, and it comes back to that old, you know, just core strategic question for a business. What are our core competencies? And, you know, five years from now, if we try to play in a space that isn't a core comp from us, are we just going to end up, I'll be blunt, burning a lot of money and then not having the best version of whatever that thing is because we weren't maybe the right people to do that? That takes a lot of self-reflection as an organization, especially when you're successful because sometimes companies believe they can just do anything because they decide. And there's the, the world is riddled with case studies where that didn't that failed, that, that idea didn't come to fruition. <laughs> That's interesting to hear you guys are you guys are doing that. Hey, bring it back a little bit local. We're talking on this on a broad scale. Uh, two names that come up for me. One is Neo Financial, which we chatted a little bit. I had one of the gentlemen, uh, Jeff Adam- Adamson, on last week chatting about that and what they're doing. Also, Brightside, which is something I know ATB. I had Alex Newth on uh, last year, and she chatted about when she was leading that project. So thinking about two local initiatives that I would say are designed to be a new version. They even go on their websites. They look different. They're approachable in a very different way. Any comments on those two and maybe the role they're playing or what kind of, what your knowledge is on those? Yeah, for sure. Those are good examples. And I think good local examples of FinTech technology that's related to the financial services uh, space. And, you know, I, I guess my closest experience is with the, with the guys at Neo and we've had good conversations with them and we chatted about a potential clearing relationship with them and it's almost exactly what we're talking about. So if you think okay. of their concept about getting into banking, they still need to solve for how they, they transact and move money and set ultimately settle. Um, so, so they still need us. And, and the evaluation from our side is it's not that do we need them is are they the right partner for what we're trying to do uh, for our members? And they're, they're a really uh, interesting group and, and uh, yeah, there's just, there's really some bright things going on. You know, in the city of Calgary, in the province of Alberta, and it's important that we look at that. And if you look at some of the things that uh, both our local government and provincial government are doing to try to attack, uh, to attract tech companies to, to Alberta, mm-hmm. like this is a really exciting time. If you're a fintech and you, and you want to set up, uh, Calgary has become a, a pretty, a, a pretty great opportunity, I think, for wanting to bring your business here. That's interesting. So do you see, because you know, when I think of this sometimes, and I'm very pro-Calgary, but I don't think of Calgary being the epicenter for fintech in Canada. Of course, I'll think about Toronto. You know, That's the obvious, that's the default go-to, maybe inaccurately so. Do we have a potential? And you said it right now. Right? Is, is that very real that Western Canada, specifically Calgary, has an opportunity to actually be a player in this space? I believe so. I, I look at, uh, I look at the, the level of education that we have within our workforce in Calgary. Uh, the type of city that we are operating in, the average age of an Albertan is 37 years old, the youngest in the province. Uh, we have uh, energy, we have ingenuity, um, 
and we're we are creating these um, uh, government programs and tax advantages, which should make it make it more palatable for these type of organizations to come in. And you look at the evolving economy and the, the requirement to further diversify our economy, which I think we all would agree needs to continue to happen. Um, I yes. think we're very well placed. I think Calgary is very well placed for that. Uh, we have a lot of uh, unused commercial real estate right now. Um, we, which, we, 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 have, we have an abundance of space. We absolutely do. We have an abundance of space and, uh, and, uh, and, and it's really all the core services I think you, you need to provide and be successful in this space. So I think it's, a, it's actually a really unique opportunity as we move forward and glad to see that uh, our governments at different levels are, are recognizing that and starting to, starting to pay more attention to it. That is that's excellent to hear. You touched on it just the average age. I think we maybe talked about it before we pushed the record button. What do you see in terms of talent coming into the space? Are people excited about working in the banking sector or are they excited about fintech or is that that balance like, you know, oh, get into banking. It's it's almost like saying getting into, into oil and gas. And I'm, I'm not saying that from my own perspective, but I've heard that from a lot of guests. Our new grads aren't excited about our main industry anymore with banking. Have you seen something? Have you seen anything kind of related to that? And is there a shift because of fintech that it's maybe becoming a bit cooler <laughs> to go work in banking? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think that's, there's part of it. So there's this, this technology, this nature, and is it becoming, uh, is it becoming a more exciting place to work? Um, mm -hmm. and I think it is, but I, I guess I'll talk about the credit union space and, and involved in this and, you know, a couple of great examples, even from the last few days. So with, within uh, the Alberta credit union system, we've got a, we've got a program where we focus around young leaders, where all the credit unions work together. If you belong to you work at Alberta central or any of the affiliate organizations, it's, it's a group of young leaders that works together and comes up with different leadership ideas and ways to change the banking system and ways to improve the, the credit union space. So I'm seeing tremendous energy amongst uh, young Albertans who are, are interested in financial services and, and that connection to the cooperative space and why and how that's different than a bank. And there's huge technology extensions to that for sure. But we really are seeing talent that wants to to grow and stay within the financial services sector. But I, I think you're right. It's a it's part of that is where we're going and how we're going to get there and the amount of change that's required and, and just excitement amongst young people around getting getting into that space and making a difference. Uh, making a difference and like I can I can actually create change I can make the world better than I found it and that's I know so important for people and I think the 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 generation coming up I think that's that's a make or break like that is that is a key criteria for them when they're looking at at, at roles and I think it's exciting because we'll get very different outcomes you know this there's a group of people and certainly some of my niece and nephew in that age category they don't want to mail it in they really want to create change and they're really kind of jazzed up about that and they're looking for companies that reflect that back to them and I think that that's you know we've all heard it as leaders and it's just you know how do you make that happen in a very real, tangible way, and create opportunities for for that group to come in and you know kick over the kick over the apple cart, if you will. <laughs> well, and we need to invest in that, I think, as a sector as well, and and uh, so we're we're starting to do that, and I'm sure the banks are as well. And uh, so I am excited about the future. I'm excited about the interest of young people in in how they are taking the products and services that you need from your banking institution and translating that into how you live your life.
Yeah, I like that blend. It just becomes the underpinning or the backdrop for how you live your life. If you were going to, if you're thinking about, you know, sometimes I talk to some tech startups and they express that, you know, sometimes, yeah, getting money is a challenge. Sometimes getting money is easy, but getting mentorship is a challenge. When you look at the fintech space and a lot of, are these bigger groups that are coming in that are well-backed and that are, that are positioned well financially and um, talent-wise, or are you seeing a lot of smaller companies? I guess I'm just trying to get a bit of a read of the ecosystem of like, is there a bunch of four or five person startups out there running around with some big fintech ideas, you know, or is it more established like Neo, where they've you know had a big exit? For anyone who doesn't know, those are the that's the team that put Skip the Dishes uh, on the map and exited from that. So they came in funded and experienced. And nice as we see more and more companies go doing it the second or third time, you start to create a different ecosystem. I guess from your optics, what are you seeing out there? Is there a real blend, or like who's getting into the fintech space from a startup perspective? I think it's both. So you you are seeing some very well funded groups coming in that are being uh, funded by by different sectors. So there's a lot of venture capital money within the fintech space, and I think there's some um, there's some specific bets that are being placed um, within that market. So you're seeing some groups coming in very well funded. I think the level of individual that's coming through these fintechs, so the education, the energy, just the pure smartness of 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 the people they're bringing on is it's a very high quality of, uh, of individual that uh, that's coming forward regardless of the size, but the sizes I think are all different. So it could be, uh, it could be, you know, a small group of a few to, to a larger group and the level of funding also varies quite dramatically. Um, and I think you're right on the mentorship piece. Some of the, the sizing and the funding is directly related to the amount of mentorship that's, that's occurred and, and their ability to, to wade through, all the sort of pitfalls in the labyrinth of trying to figure figure out this financial services space. Interesting. So, as a as a as a player in Western Canada, and you know, and the role that you play, do you do you guys as a group do you engage? Do you have team members that go out to kind of startup Calgary events, or are you out there like mingling, like being involved with that with the community to see what's going on and offering that? Like, do you guys actively? Uh, I'm you're nodding. I'm, I was assuming yes, but again, that takes that's that's someone's effort and that's someone's time to go out there to just engage with the community to see what's going on. It's, it's critical that we do that and we do a fair amount in that space, but there's still more we need to do. And it's a key area of focus for Alberta Central. And we've got a pillar with our, within our strategic plan that talks about a technology center of expertise and helping to create those enabling technologies for credit unions. And that's a changing market space. So we're doing our best to get in front of that by participating locally in these events um, and also, also looking uh, internationally and then partnering within the credit union system worldwide to make sure we're bringing some of the, those technologies to bear. Now, you, you've got to play locally, but you got, but also the, the global financial system. And there's different players at different at different levels of, of of sophistication. And I heard you loud and clear. We got a C or a C minus. So what I hear is no nothing but room for improvement. <laughs> I might have had that written on my report card a few times. <laughs> Doesn't pay attention in class and shows room for has room for improvement. But that's a, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> no, disrupts no others, but disru- disrupts others. I don't know. There's a few real choice ones for sure. <laughs> All probably true. I'll, I do feel I, if I go back and apologize to some of my teachers, I, pr- I probably would. Um, you know, I really appreciate your perspective today. You really got me thinking. Like, if you were going to crystal ball it, and I know that's tough. The crystal ball is only good at the best of days, uh, not good at the best of days. In the next couple of years, what are the things that you see? You talked about payments and the ability to make do that easier with larger sums of money. Is there things that we can expect as consumers and businesses that like that's on the horizon of the, in the next couple of years? Like crystal ball it for me a little bit. What's what's coming that technology is obviously going to enable, but ultimately is going to improve my life as a as a business owner and a consumer. 
So I think in the shortest term, and I would say I would say months, not years, you're going to see a continual evolution around payments. We're already starting to see a, a huge change. So things like uh, increased volumes of things like e-transfer, uh, you know, uh, by very large amounts, and we saw some of this occur in the summer. So we're starting to see uh, people change, um, and it, it's just it's a completely different world. So one of the examples, and we we talked a little bit, I think. But before we started recording about cash and we talked, I talked a little bit about putting mm. your money under your pillow. So if you think about financial uh, challenging times in the past, that was always a concern that people would go to the bank and withdraw all their money. But now you can't really spend, you can't really spend your cash. So, so yeah. the money is sitting in the banks and the banks and the credit unions, and I'll speak specifically to credit unions. They're in a, a quite a good liquidity position. They've got lots of money to lend. They've got to, they've got to find out how they're going to lend it. So, so there's, so I think there's some unique opportunities there if we can, if we can find ways to invest in local businesses and to create those connections. So I think we're going to see the technology evolve. I believe that the, the speed of payments transactions is going to, is going to change. I think that, uh, you know, nobody wants to touch a machine anymore. So the contactless and the tap ability and using your phone to pay for stuff, all of that's going to get sorted out. Be interesting to see if the next iPhone comes out with a button again, because it's pretty hard to use your face ID with a mask on. And uh, you know, so we're, we're yeah, seeing. Yeah, 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 yes, it is. Seeing, I've, 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 you're seeing consumers run into this, right? So, so these are yeah. these are the things where uh, the world is changing real time based on based on those things. So I think we're going to see speed. I think we're going to see the payments systems modernize over the next few years. I think it will change the way that banking institutions interact, and I think there will be an increased speed of adoption of fintechs and enabling technology. So I think it's a really exciting time uh, to be in this space. And we've just, we've got a unique opportunity to accelerate these changes. And, and I think the speed at which we accelerate, I can't, I can't even tell you, just even since you and I spoke last, things are happening very quickly. Uh, the way consumers are transacting is happening very quickly. You know, are you going to continue to go into your bank? Are you looking for ways to never go into your bank again? You know, what does it mean and what are the downstream impacts of that? And then how do financial institutions react to consumer needs or consumer needs driving financial institutions to, to where they want to go? And it's a bit of push and pull and then this element of where fintechs fit in the middle. And, and really, I think we're going to see mo more open API architecture. So if you think of app, app programming interfaces and the way everything hooks together, and you think of it like a universal plug when you, you know, you're traveling around the world, you have universal plugs, you can plug whatever in. That's really what open APIs are all about. And I think we're going to see a huge increase in technology being created with integration layers with open APIs so that things can connect together better. And I think that uh, that trend will also increase quite quickly. And, and if you think of if you run all those scenarios and then you say, what's the byproduct of that? It's a very different economy. It's moving quicker. There's more freedom. We are less hamstrung by borders. You know, this global village concept that we live in, that becomes even more real. You're potentially to do a micro investment in uh, the other side of the world. It really opens up a significant amount of opportunity to bring money into jurisdictions that maybe don't have it. Like again, just the opportunity from an investor standpoint or from a, a starting up a business in the middle of nowhere, where now I have a cell phone, which gives me access to a network now, which maybe gives me access to support. There's a really interesting kind of democratization that happens through technology with money. When if everything like you know what you said, even in the short term, comes to fruition, it changes the game very quickly. How we then act as as humans, as consumers, and as investors. And I do believe it's global, Tyler. So I think when we look at how we transact in the country, think of getting financial services products from other countries or providing them to other countries. Those barriers, I believe, will decrease. 
more quickly now as we look at concepts like open banking and as the payment systems do a better job of connecting and allowing for money to move instantly. It allows for um, folks to lend you money and for you to borrow money and for you to look at different different ways to create that financial fitness for yourself. And it's a changing place, changing marketplace. I don't want to overlook, I, I love change and I love things better than they were yesterday, but there's got to be a lot of people or a, lot, a group of like, this has got to be scary for a lot of people because there's a lot of, you and I just threw change around with this magic wand of like, oh, the world, everything will change. That's also pretty scary for companies that have done it a certain way, or maybe their whole business model is designed around a transaction. So I never want to estimate that some people do value the status quo because it's, it's that's the way we've always done it. And I, I forget what they called it, the phenomenon when a company identifies a new way of doing things, but it immediately cannibalizes their old way of doing things and how long certain stakeholders will hold on to the old way just to not see it get cannibalized. And sooner or later, if you don't do that for too long, someone will just come in and eat your lunch. <laughs> well, I, one of my favorite examples of that is the long distance business. And you look at how that how that occurred over time and how you used to have to, it was a long distance call to, uh, you know, to call to Bragg Creek or something outside of Calgary or, <laughs> or whatever that looked like, or if you want to call somewhere else in the world and how that business eventually uh, was self-cannibalized by the phone companies as they evolved as they evolved their technology. So there's there's uh, there's a ton of examples around that happening, and, and you have to be wary of it. I think for for listeners and for consumers, don't be too worried about things changing overnight. Uh, don't forget that we're in a highly regulated environment, and one of the things we talk about is educating the regulators and making sure that they're creating market conditions so that we can continue to compete. But there's also that stability that exists within current regulations that we all have to meet as financial institutions uh, that uh, that exists within the marketplace. So I, I don't think that people need to be concerned. We should be excited, um, but we've got to create the right speed of change so we we deal with all these potential risk and security issues, but allow us to continue to compete. I like what you said that, that you know there's many stakeholder groups and ultimately that group of regulators is focusing our best on, on our best interests and why we live in a, in a very safe financial environment in, in where we are in Canada we're very fortunate which sometimes can safety can look like slow I, I think that's an easy thing to kind of to point at one and, and and end up with the other but like you said this isn't going to blow everything overnight but we, it is it is accelerating and I think the last seven or eight months have just shone the light on so many changes that were already coming they just they just they just got here a lot quicker. No, I agree. Well, Ian, I really appreciate it. Always, I enjoyed our chat last time and you got me thinking about a whole different, like what the art of the possible and all the things that are happening in the sector. And it also helps to put a little bit of filter because there's lots of buzzy headlines out there about, oh, this disruption and that change to really boil it down to kind of what is going on and ultimately the customer experience being improved while still maintaining the level of safety and security that we all know in this world is critical. It's, you know, that the whole safety and security thing around our own personal identities, let alone our money that we all, everyone knows somebody who's been unfortunately negatively affected by that. So how can we create all this change while still maintaining a degree of safety and security is paramount as, as, as we move forward. It's just good to put it all into context. I really appreciate your insights today. Well, thanks for having me, Tyler. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, six months from now, it'll probably be a pretty, pretty different lens again. It's just changing that quickly.